John 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Well, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. The undertaker, he drove the hearse to a graveyard that was situated on a hill just overlooking the tiny town. It was a gloomy, drizzly day, just the perfect day, I guess, for a funeral. And since it was raining, the grass was slick, the footing was treacherous. Well, as the pallbearers, they walked the casket to the burial spot, one of them slipped, and then several of them slipped, and suddenly they dropped the box. It started sliding down the hill toward the town. The undertaker was chasing the runaway casket. All of a sudden, this coffin, it hits the curb, it gets airborne, and it sails through the window of the local pharmacy. It flies right through the front, right out the back. Well, all this caught the pharmacist by surprise. He was in the back room when he heard this terrible crash out front. Well, he runs to the counter just about the time that the funeral director comes racing through the front door. Out of habit, the pharmacist, he looks at him and he just says, well, can I help you? The out-of-breath undertaker, he kind of clears his throat <clears throat> and he shouts, yeah, got anything that'll stop this coffin? Oh. <clears throat> I've been on vacation, man. I'm back. I'm ready. I'm fired up. I'm ready. Well, our Lord Jesus, you see, he was great at stopping coffins. Yes, he was. Did you know that once Jesus entered a village called Nain where he ran headlong into a funeral procession? Paul bears were carrying a, body's, a boy's body, his corpse, on a wicker stretcher. Jesus looked at this scene. He had pity on the boy's mother. In fact, he told her to stop weeping. Wait a minute, Jesus. Who in their right mind has the nerve to tell a grieving mother to stop weeping, to dry her tears? But that's exactly what Jesus did. He walked right up to that coffin and he commanded, Young man, arise. The kid bolted up from bed as if he'd been wakened from an afternoon nap. He was alive. Jesus had a way of stopping coffins. Hey, Jesus was all about busting up funerals. Search the gospel accounts and you'll find no mention of anyone ever dying in Jesus' presence. 
You remember when he commanded Jairus' dead daughter, little girl, arise. Luke 8 verse 55 says, Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. And that's not all. He commanded that she be given something to eat. Jesus knew how to stop a coffin. And yet this situation with Lazarus seemed different. I mean, with Lazarus, we're not talking about a corpse that's still warm, that's, that's still sort of burping out the leftover gases from the deflating lungs. No, Lazarus' body is room temperature. He's been dead for four days, a long weekend. This isn't a patient still wearing his hospital ID bracelet who's just had the sheet pulled over his head. Man, this guy is dead. He's been buried. He's been packed away in a tomb. This guy's pushing up daisies. Rigor mortis, decomposition has already set in. In fact, a stone's been rolled over the mouth of the cave just to contain the stench. No, for Jesus to resurrect Lazarus, he's going to have to exhume a body. He's going to have to put flesh back on brittle bones to pull this off. This is going to take a miracle of gargantuan proportion. This is going to make the boy at Nain and Jairus' daughter look like cheap card tricks. This is going to be a miracle of unprecedented magnitude. You know, once the stone had been reluctantly rolled off the mouth of the cave, if you had poked your head into the tomb to take a peek, you would have seen a body lying on a rock shelf. There were usually several bodies shelved away in these tombs. Often the tomb would contain multiple bodies. There was no way to know for sure, but this particular cave may have been crowded with corpses. You know, today we preserve a dead body with chemicals, but the Jews didn't adhere to embalming. They wrapped a corpse in tightly wound cloth strips in almost mummy-like fashion. John calls the wrappings grave clothes. The word could be translated grave bandages. You see, in these folds were placed ointments and perfumes and spices that would stifle the smell. A handkerchief was even laid over the face. Uh, it actually tied the chin of the corpse up so that the corpse's jaw wouldn't keep dangling open. Yeah, if you had peeked into this tomb, you would have seen Lazarus. All wrapped up like a Christmas present, placed under the tree for the day of resurrection. It reminds me of the henpecked husband who was advised by his buddy to assert himself. He said, man, don't you, don't you want to stand up for yourself? Why you let your wife dominate like you do and push you around? I mean, don't you know you're supposed to be the king of your castle? You need to wear the britches in your family, man. Go home and show your wife who's the boss. Well, the, the husband took his advice, and so he rushed home. He slammed the door. He growled at his wife. He said, from now on, you're taking orders from me, and I want supper right now. And when it's on the table, go upstairs and lay out my best clothes. I'm going out with the boys, and you're staying home. And one more thing. Do you know who's going to shine my shoes and iron my shirt? His wife answered calmly, yep, the undertaker. <laughs> well, like the Jews, this man was preparing a set of grave clothes. Understand, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he didn't do it just to illustrate his power, though that was part of the purpose. But he also performed this miracle to teach a spiritual lesson. In John's gospel, Jesus' miracles are referred to as signs. 
Yes, the events actually happened, but they pointed to deeper truths. They were signs to greater truths relevant to us today. Today, Jesus doesn't break up every funeral. He hasn't emptied every grave. Nevertheless, Jesus is still the resurrection and the life forever and for now. You see, Jesus raises our dead spirit and He creates new life in us. Jesus births spiritual vitality and supernatural strength in believing hearts. He wants you and I to live a life that's fully alive. This wonderful story in John 11 teaches a lesson that applies to all believers in all times. Jesus raises a dead man. Then his friends are commanded to take off his grave clothes. And this is the Christian life in a nutshell. Now, the following description may surprise you. But did you know that the world we live in is a graveyard full of walking corpses? That's right. We're living among the walking dead. Physically, people are alive. Their lungs inhale and exhale. Their heart pumps blood. Their muscles stretch and move. They're alive physically, but spiritually, they're dead. Understand, biblically speaking, the word death means separation. Physical death occurs when the body is separated from the spirit, whereas spiritual death occurs when man's spirit is separated from God. The Bible teaches that this separation exists from birth. Man is born into sin. He's conceived separated from God. Understand, a human being can grow up, go to school, reach maturity... Unaware that there's a whole life they've yet to discover. They're familiar with the material world, but they're dead to God and the things of God. And understand, death has no degrees. If you're dead in sin and separated from God, you're not more dead or less dead than the next guy. I mean, dead is dead. There are degrees of decay. I mean, among dead folks, some bodies are more rotten and stink worse than others. But hey, everybody who's dead is equally dead. And the same is true with the walking dead. Oh, some people have reached a further degree of corruption than others. I don't know if you've been outside in this world lately, but it's full of stinkers. Did you know that? Their rottenness is obvious. Whereas there are other people who somehow manage to mask their stench. They've bulked up on preservatives. They're not as corrupt as others. But hey, if you're dead, you're still dead. If you're without Christ, there's a good chance that your life is riddled and saddled with problems this morning. If I were to ask you to name a few, you might say, Man, I'm stressed, or I'm lonely, or I'm angry, or I'm worried. Or man, I'm just full of lust and hate. You know, before I came to Jesus, I had similar problems. But I believe Jesus would shorten your list of maladies. These aren't the problems that he sees. He knows they're symptoms of a much deeper, more profound problem. You see, Jesus would simplify your diagnosis. He would tell you that your main problem is that you're dead. You're a spiritual Lazarus, dead to God in the life that he gives. And Jesus wants to work spiritually in you the same miracle that He worked physically in Lazarus. He wants to resurrect your spirit and spark spiritual life in you.
peace and purpose, happiness and wholeness, pleasantness and power, forgiveness and fulfillment, a sense of direction and an awareness of God's presence. This is what Jesus wants to bring to your life. Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 tell us, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Jesus makes us alive. He lights a spark. It's like hot wiring a cold car. Jesus finds your wire. And then He finds God's wire. And He takes them and He poof, He hits them together. And He gets a spark. Jesus creates life. He initiates a connection between you and God. You see, Lazarus, he bounded from the tomb. A man who was dead is now alive. But the story doesn't end there. For Lazarus was still bound in grave clothes. Now, how a mummy like Lazarus moved to the door of the cave, we're not sure. John tells us that his hands and his feet were bound. Now, if they were bound individually, it would have hindered his movement. If they were bound together, it would have required God's power to propel him into the open doorway. Either way, though, Lazarus was restricted by these grave clothes. He was alive, but he was clothed in a shroud. Lazarus has a new lease on life. Once Jesus creates that spark in him, he has a new start, a new birth. New life is coursing through his veins. New power and potential is there for Lazarus. But he's standing there in grave clothes. Old Lazarus might be fashionably dressed among corpses, but he's not dressed for the land of the living. Lazarus is still wearing his dead threads. And how about you? In a spiritual sense, are you still wearing grave clothes, dead threads? Are you wearing attitudes and habits and perspectives that restrict your freedom? Are you bound by certain emotions and passions? Do you get entangled by certain sins? Are you not free to be the person that Jesus wants you to be? If so, the problem is grave clothes. Hey, many of us, we're alive in Christ. We have that inner peace. We have the private witness of the Holy Spirit in our heart testifying that we belong to God. Deep down inside, we desire to obey God and love others. We're alive but we're still wearing a shroud. There are issues in our life like grave clothes that hinder us. And it's time that we shed the dead threads. The problem, though, is that unlike Lazarus's shroud, spiritual grave clothes are not always as easily identifiable. Dead threads come in different styles and patterns and colors. I mean, how do you spot grave clothes? Well, let's use the illustration of Lazarus here. His grave clothes served three purposes. First, they restricted his movements. Second, they masked his stench. And third, they preserved a doctrine without stirring up faith. And I think you'll find the grave clothes in your life when you identify the issues that have the same threefold effect on you. What is it that's restricting your movements? What masks your stench? What is it in your life that's a doctrine you preserve, but it's not really stirring up real faith? 
Well, first, grave clothes are those issues that bind you and restrict you from being what God wants you to be. Lazarus was alive, but he was handcuffed. He was alive, but he couldn't enjoy this new life and its freedom. He was restricted by these bands of cloth. Hey, if Jesus hadn't commanded the onlookers to lose him, it wouldn't have taken this old boy long to feel bound and stifled, as good as dead all over again. And you see, this is what happens to Christians. Yes, we're alive in Christ, but after you've lived a while tied up in sin and failure, you feel trapped. You feel alive, but just barely. Notice verse 44, how bound Lazarus must have felt. Grave clothes covered his hands and his feet and his face. And they'll cover the same three areas in your life. They'll cover your hands. What is it that's restricting your reach, keeping you from grabbing hold of God's blessings and God's power? They'll cover your feet. They'll hinder your walk with the Lord and the practical application of your faith. They'll cover your face. They'll keep your eyes blind. And they'll keep your mouth from singing God's praise and sharing your faith. You see, grave clothes or whatever it is that covers our hands and our feet and our face and keep us from stretching out and stepping out and speaking out. Understand, grave clothes... These are the attitudes that keep you from stretching out and grabbing hold of God's best for your life. You see, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've been cleansed. You've been forgiven. Did you know you've been accepted in Christ? You're as right with God as you'll ever get. Yet I know believers who have a difficult time feeling God's forgiveness. They remain haunted by issues of guilt and unworthiness and doubt. Did you know you can be a child of God yet still feel like an orphan? And this prohibits you from reaching out to Jesus and laying hold of the blessings that His blood has purchased for you. We need to be taught, or better yet, shown the length and height and width and breadth of God's love. Rather than be tied down by doubt, all believers should be assured that God's grace provides all that we need. We need confidence in our faith. Grave clothes keep me from stretching out. They bind my hands. But they also keep me from stepping out. They bind my feet. You know, it's hard to walk in a shroud. Grave clothes tie you down. And they keep you from serving God in vital ways. I mean, how can you walk with the Lord if you're not sure of your status in the Lord? When my son Nick was caught, he and I went to the Braves game one night. And he asked me if baseball had initials like football and basketball. You know, Dad, like NBA and NFL. And then before I could really think, he said, Dad, you play in the EDL. I thought, my, what's the EDL? He said, everyday living. Did you know we all play in the EDL? And this is where grave clothes hinder us. New life in Christ is a miracle. It's the part of salvation only God can do. But living it out in your everyday life is our part. And this involves shedding grave clothes. Attitudes that characterized your life apart from Christ, they need to be shed now, now that you're a believer. Things like selfishness and stubbornness and laziness and worldliness and bitterness and stubbornness. These things get in the way of us living our life for God and living out this life God puts in us. These are the attitudes that we learned when we were dead to God, and yet they linger after our conversion. 
We've got to shed the dead threads. We've got to get rid of these old attitudes. A vibrant, relevant Christianity comes when you free up your thinking and you really begin to live out what you, what you believe. You see, grave clothes keep me from stretching out and stepping out. And they even keep me from speaking out. Lazarus had a cloth that covered his face. It tied up his chin to keep the corpse's jaw from just dangling open and his mouth from just hanging open. And spiritual grave clothes will also keep us from opening our mouth and speaking out for God. They'll keep us from praising God. They'll keep us from sharing our faith. Sealed lips are a mark of a corpse. A mouth full of praise. A voice that stands up for Jesus. These are the signs of life. Hey, identify the source of your silence and you'll find your grave clothes. You'll be able to get rid of them. Sometimes fear of people is an example of a grave clothes. Fear of making waves, fear of controversy can also be considered grave clothes. This is why I admire Dan Cathy. President of Chick-fil-A for his willingness to stand up for the biblical definition of marriage. From now on, I'm going to eat more chicken. I'd go today, but they're not open on Sunday. Hey, Dan, Kathy eats chicken, but he sure isn't one. Fear becomes a gag in the mouth of a believer. We need to shed the dead threads and speak up. But there are other grave clothes of which we need to be aware Grave clothes bound the corpse, but as I said earlier, they served other purposes also. Remember, they masked the smell of rotting flesh. The folds of the cloths, the, in the folds of the cloths, the Jews would place ointments and spices and perfumes. This would give off a, an aroma that would cover over the odor of death. Notice Martha's concern in verse 39. When Jesus commands the stone to be rolled away, Lazarus' sister says, and I want to quote this from the old King James Version. It's a lot funnier. She says, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. I'll bet he did. Stinketh. You know, modern morticians say that bodies don't deteriorate as quickly today as they do in the, did in the past. It's largely due to the chemical preservatives, all the potato chips you've put in your body over the years. Apparently, today's diet will help kill you, but look on the bright side. It provides your corpse a longer shelf life. It saves the mortician some embalming fluid. Today, you go to a funeral four days after a person dies, and they smell okay. A little like formaldehyde maybe, but, but they're okay. Lazarus, though, after four days, man, he smelled like a stink bomb. Despite the grave clothes, Martha and the family, they didn't even want to open the tomb. They were afraid of the atrocious stench. Years ago, we, we had one of our family pets die. We had a rabbit named Pinky. Pinky bit the dust. In fact, several days elapsed between Pinky's death and burial. You know what big families these rabbits have, and it took a while for all the relatives to get into town for the funeral. Being the resident pastor, I had the privilege of officiating the sermon, the ceremony, the funeral. And I'll never forget my sermon. The family had all gathered around little Pinky and I said, Here lies the rabbit. 
Life is short. We're here today and gone tomorrow. It was not one of my more memorable sermons, trust me. The kids wanted God to raise Pinky from the dead. But it was obviously not his will. The smell, though, of little Pinky did make for a hair-raising experience. For by the time we buried poor Pinky, he had turned into Stinky. I mean, the whole backyard reeked. And this is a big reason for grave clothes. You know, these are the spiritual grave clothes in our lives. Here's how you recognize a grave clothes. What is it in your life that you're using to sort of mask over the smell of death? You know, before you and I came to Christ, we too were a rotting rabbit. The stench of our sin rose up to heaven. And yet, rather than confess our sin and repent of our sin, you know what some of us have done? We've tried to cover over the smell with good works. And with religious rituals and with charitable deeds. Hey, in fact, the more we stink, the better we try to look. The Pharisees were a classic example of this sort of hypocrisy. They were legalists. They were stringent and uncompromising in their observance of the Jewish law. I mean, they towed the line, man. Every T was crossed. Every I was dotted. But there was hatred and pride and selfishness inside. They were outwardly clean but inwardly rotten. In Matthew 23, verse 27, Jesus takes them to task. He says to the scribes and Pharisees, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. They were like tombs with a fresh coat of paint. But don't move the stone. It stinketh on the inside. Every Christian needs to strip away the grave clothes of hypocrisy. You see, a true Christian is an authentic person. He's already confessed his sin, so he's got nothing to hide. She's no longer masking over, so she's free to be herself. You know, some of you, you're hiding the real you. You're coming to church on Sunday. And in doing so, you're shrouding the unethical practices that occur the other six days of the week. Oh, you pray long prayers at mealtime, but that's only because you don't think about God at any other time. Oh, you give a little money to the Lord because you know He doesn't have your life. You see, we can use religious things to cover over our rottenness. You know, before we buried Pinky, what if I'd gone out in the backyard and took a case of Febreze and sprayed it all over the backyard to try to mask the odor. That would be foolish. I mean, if I truly wanted to get rid of the smell, wouldn't it be easier just to bury the rabbit? Likewise, stop trying to mask your sin. Why don't you just admit it and repent of it and ask God to help you overcome it? Putting off grave clothes can mean turning loose of ritualism and legalism. Stuff that makes us feel proud and self-righteous. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to trust in the righteousness of Jesus and live according to faith. Hey, we need to swap grave clothes for grace clothes. Well, finally, realize the use of grave clothes derived was derived from a Jewish doctrine. It was based on a belief. The Jews believed, and the Bible teaches, that God will one day resurrect everybody's body. Every human body, buried or cremated, will be, will be resurrected and reunited with its spirit. 
in order to stand before God's judgment. And to wrap a body in grave clothes in a way that would preserve it was basically a tip of the hat to this tradition, to this belief. It affirmed a future resurrection. Thus, when Lazarus' family wrapped him in grave clothes, it was because of their belief in the doctrine of the resurrection. But after Jesus' miracle, though I'm sure they still believed in a future resurrection, you could hardly call it the same belief, for resurrection had a brand new meaning after the miracle. And here's what I'm saying. Grave clothes can represent a doctrine that's distant or future. Oh, we believe it, but it's far from relevant to us. It doesn't require faith in the present. For example, you can affirm that God created all things without ever looking to God to reveal His creativity in you to do a new work in your life today. We believe Jesus will one day return and rapture the church. But what about the fact that He wants to come to you every single day and enrapture your heart with His love? When we become content in the affirmation of a creed, or in the knowledge of a Bible doctrine, without desiring God Himself, we're settling for grave clothes. God's promise is new life and present power. To celebrate God's work in the past or His future glory, without looking for Him to work in me in the present, is a grave clothes mentality, and it needs to be put away. In fact, this was the problem with Martha. When Jesus first arrived, Lazarus was not the only person that day wearing grave clothes. Martha was as well. She had a grave clothes mentality. When Jesus told Martha that her brother would rise again, she said in verse 24, Oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. To Martha, the resurrection was a doctrine. It was just a statement of faith. But it wasn't a reality in her heart. Not yet. Her doctrine were grave clothes. She had yet to apply the power of the resurrection to her present situation. And I love Jesus' response to Martha. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I embody the truth and the power of what you believe about God. You see, Jesus can do this for you. He can take the truth off the page of your Bible, out of the distant future, and He can make it a reality in your life today. Martha believed in a promise for the future, but Jesus wanted to take the power of that promise and make it real in her life at that very moment. He wants to do the same for us. Hey, God wants us to believe in sound doctrine and biblical truth. But doctrine alone is a shroud when we don't press beyond it and embrace the reality behind it. Martha needed faith, not in a precept, but in a person, the person of Jesus. Which brings us to the million dollar question. Once you've identified your grave clothes, how do you remove them? How do you shed the dead threads? And you know what? The answer might just surprise you. Notice in verse 44. Jesus doesn't tell Lazarus to take off his own grave clothes. He doesn't. He told them, Mary and Martha and the people at the tomb, to loose him and let him go. 
it was up to his friends to unwrap his grave clothes. And this, my friends, is the responsibility that has totally eluded many of today's churches and some of today's Christians. New believers, they come to Jesus and they receive the life He offers, a vitality and a strength and an awareness. They surge in a moment from death to life. They bounce into the doors of the church like Lazarus, bounding into the opening of the tomb. They're very alive, but they're still very bound. And the rest of us, we rejoice for them. We thank God for what He's done. And then we walk away back to our circle of friends and we ignore Him. We leave Him in His grave clothes trying to figure out how He can get free. Imagine Mary and Martha turning up their noses at a resurrected Lazarus and saying, well, look at that. He's not willing to reach out to us, so why should we reach out to Him? Lazarus wasn't capable of reaching out to anybody. He was bound up. He couldn't stretch out or step out or speak out. He was still bound. And Lazarus is not the only one. We are all bound to some degree or another by our grave clothes. Oh, we're alive in Christ, but we have attitudes that we should have shaken off long ago. And you know what? We need each other's help. Jesus didn't tell Lazarus to get free by himself. He told the people around him to take off his grave clothes, to set him free. And this is why Jesus has taken us out of the world, but he's put us into the church. Understand, a lot of Christians just believe half the gospel, that they've been saved from the world, but you've been saved to the church. Did it dawn on you the moment you saved, he didn't just take you to heaven? He put you in the church. He put you with other brothers and sisters so that you could be involved in this process of of shedding the dead threads. Of letting them help you shake free and you help them shake free. This is our job as Christians. Paul Tournier once said, There are two things we cannot do alone. One is to be married and the other is to be a Christian. You can't do it alone. That's why he's put us in the church. You know, in reflecting back on my Christian experience, I am so thankful for friends and mentors who shared their faith with me and helped me unwrap a few of my grave clothes. I would have never learned of grace or how to pray or be a witness or been open to the power of the Holy Spirit or understood Christian liberty if these truths had not been modeled for me by other believers. Oh, it's easier to shake off grave clothes once you've seen other people living without them. It encourages me to see myself as a new creation in Christ when other people are willing to see me in the same light. In short, Christians feed off each other's faith. Don't you know this? Christians feed off each other's faith. We make a mistake if we view fellowship as merely our social outlet It should be the catalyst for change in our lives. We need to use our interactions with each other to challenge each other to godliness. The New Testament encourages us to admonish one another. That means to egg on each other to a deeper faith. Our job as a Christian is to help each other get free. That's why if you're alive in Christ but still struggling with grave clothes, here's what you need. It's much simpler than you thought. 
You need a few good friends at church who really care about you and you really care about them. That's what you need. Jesus creates the new life in us. But then it's up to the people around us to help us shake free of those grave clothes. And realize... Spiritual realities aren't reinforced in a secular world. There's nowhere else you can go out there to be free from grave clothes. There's nowhere else. There's nowhere else you can go in the world today to be supported in your Christian faith than to the church. Take grace, for example. Our world is all about ungrace. There's no grace in this world today. There's nowhere else where grace is practiced, let alone valued. Our world trains us to base our worth on our own performance. It's do this, it's do that, it's measure up. To believe that God loves us and accepts us just as we are and right where we're at on no other basis than our faith in Jesus. That's a foreign concept in this world. Grace only exists in the church. What about servanthood? We find God's life when we give away our own life and serve other people. But you're not going to learn that at Gwinnett College. There's no public school around that offers a course in servanthood. I know of no corporate seminar in America that offers employee training in Jesus-centered living. I mean, where do you learn that kind of stuff? There's only one place. And where can you find other people who are learning the same truths? There's only one place. It's the church. You and I, we are all like Lazarus. We are alive in Christ, but we're in need of a little help to shake free. And you and I are like the folks standing around the grave. We have a responsibility to help each other shed our grave clothes. You see, Jesus points to you. And he says to me, loose him and let him go. And then Jesus points to me, and he says to you, loose him and let him go. Hey, we need to help each other to shed the dead threads. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us this morning, for your goodness toward us. Thank you for the new life that Jesus Christ brings. How great you are, how wonderful you are to take our wire, take God's wire and hit them together and create a spark, a life. Thank you that you've, you've set us free. You've made us alive to the things of God, to the Spirit of God. But now, Lord, we've we got, we got a lot of baggage that we need to get rid of. And Lord, I pray that we could find a place in this fellowship, a place among friends here, among our family in Christ, Maybe we're brand new to the church, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to find the next step where we can get more involved, get more plugged in. Maybe we've started, we did the home fellowship thing for a while, but we've gotten away from it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get back involved, back involved with people's lives. With all the things that are starting up this fall, with the women's Bible studies and the men's fellowships and all the things that are happening, Lord. I pray that you'll put it in our hearts, the need that we have for each other. That we can't live this thing alone. That you're the author of new life. But it's up to us to help each other take off the grave clothes. Help us, Lord, as we meditate on these things. We love you so much. And Lord, I pray for that one person here this morning. 